You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Chris Beasley, Gav Buckland, and later in the show, Dave Prentice, as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park. And, of course, reflect on a first win in nine matches uh, against Arsenal on Monday night, wasn't it? A triumphant Goodison, uh, toasting a quite dramatic victory and a much-needed one at that. But, of course, there's only one place to start, lads. Alex Iwobi's miss. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we really would have imagined we were in some kind of surreal um, alternate universe if uh, Iwobi had put the cherry on the top of the cake and uh, scored against his former club there. Yeah. We joke, of course. Well, it was, it was no laughing matter when it, the game was still going ahead, but no, no. obviously Everton, Everton were not left to uh, not left to rue uh, Alex's miss. No, the, the game was all about uh, Damari Gray, Richarlison and others and Gav... Um, what what was the difference? What, why did we get over the line eventually after, you know, in the previous eight occasions we hadn't? What was different about Monday? What was different about the performance? Um, being at home helped um, for a start. Um, I know it's all cliche of Gordon on the floodlights. Um, I think that probably helped. Uh, I think players were more asset for want of a better phrase um and Ray and Richardson both played really well and that that was the, the difference to me to, to be fair I still think the case defensively in, in midfield we were still like a little bit rusty um but we got a bit of luck as well on key key, key times and also suffered a bit of bad luck on key times but yeah, it's that combination, isn't it? Your best players playing well, goodness on the lights. We did definitely bit a bit more up for it as well, Phil. But it still, still doesn't still doesn't cover up uh, some of our weaknesses. Oh no, absolutely not, um, Chris. You know, one nil down. I mean, my feeling was we hadn't played, uh, you know, amazingly well. Far from it. But at one nil down, I felt that if we were going to lose the game, we could have felt hard done by. I felt we were good enough. For a point on the on the on the basis of things, what were you thinking at one nil down with you know what was it eleven minutes to go before Richarlison eventually scored and had one allowed? Yeah, it's it's been unfortunately it's been a recurring theme, hasn't it? When when they uh, say the things go against them, which they did do, obviously with the two, albeit correct but very marginal um, VAR calls um you know heads could drop and you, there's that feeling of resignation that you know here we go again and it's it's going to be another wasted opportunity um it was a bad goal to concede as well just before half time um again question marks about how easy it was i mean it was a great finish by Odegaard, but um the, how easy to 
uh, it was for Kieran Tierney to get yeah, it, it was so so Chris it was it was a it was a bad goal to concede in times it was also a bad goal to concede wasn't it it was just yeah. too easy for them yeah far too far too easy I mean it, similar in one respect to Jordan Henson in the derby and you know it was a great strike but yeah far too much space on the edge of the box or a bit closer in with Odegaard there but yeah so it was like a sense of deja vu in many respects. And again, with the VAR decisions going against Everton, I think I said at the time, if Richarlison maybe took a, a size smaller boot, he might have been onside there, just as his toenail was offside for the second one. So, you know, it happens once. You think, oh, that's unfortunate. It happens again. And you think it's not going to be your night. So, you know, great credit to the players, the fact that they did keep plugging away with no s- small help from um, those supporters inside Goodison who, Certainly helped um, cheer them on and get get them over the line for what is. I mean, we can't underplay this. You know, a massive result in terms of just stopping the rot after what had been, you know, the worst winless streak for over two decades. Yeah, Stuart Atwell in the uh, in the VAR room at Stockley Park had his microscope with him, didn't he, last night? Unbelievable that second one. I mean, that's just ridiculous. But whatever, it didn't matter in the end, Gav. Um, Understandably, you know, look, as Chris said, a massive result stops the rot, lifts the gloom temporarily, at least on what has been a very difficult period for the club. And we'll talk about the week that was, so to speak. Too early to even contemplate it's a line in the sand, too early to contemplate we've turned a corner. What, what's your thoughts on that element of, the, you know, sort of the, the bounce the bounce on from, from a win like that? Just stopped the rot. Oh, by the way, I mean, the one thing I would say about the Richarlis, the second one, that was the one at the start of the season where Mike Riley came out, didn't he, and said those type of goals will not be disallowed this season where it's marginal. Yeah. He said that, didn't he? Yeah. To avoid the toenail stuff and all this. And, and, and that, was, that was disallowed. That's just nonsense. Absolute nonsense and incompetence. Because even... Because even sorry, Gav, even and you and you know, don't you? You know if there's a debatable or there's going to be a contentious offside because the opposition will appeal. Arsenal didn't even. I don't think they raised their arms. They they just thought he's he's beating the offside trap. That's a goal. They just looked. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Alan Smith here smudged on Sky said, "Well, it's offside. It's offside, but it's not. How do you know it's offside? It looks a nonsense. Yeah. You know, um, and." Imagine if they got beat 1-0, Phil, last night in a, in a parallel universe. And that's nine games without a win and it's all not happy and all this. And then maybe don't get a result on, on Sunday. And then say yeah. that the time next week could be uh, getting a phone call from Farhad. And actually, he could point back to that, that decision to the child or someone. Yeah. You know, that's, you know fortunately... <laughs> You sort of got the refereeing system out of jail a little bit. Well, you make you, you you do make a good point, Gav, because managers make mistakes. Rafa's made mistakes this season. Players have made mistakes. They've made plenty. <clears throat> Owners made mistakes. Farhad's made. You know, we could go on. Referees make mistakes, but yeah. VAR is there yeah. to to eliminate. And that is just that was correcting a mistake that nobody believed yeah. was a mistake. Clear and obvious and all that type of stuff. It's just nonsense. And, um, you know, fortunately, they got a, got away with it last night, the, the refereeing uh, hierarchy. But uh, on another on another day, in or seven, you know, you may not see that if, it, if they'd not, not you know, if it had not been a award, well, it wasn't a award, the week get beat 1-0, the ramifications of that could have been felt a week, two weeks later. 
And I was absolutely fuming over that because that was the type of thing we said at the start of the season. The cap was that will not happen this year, and it has at a crucial mm-hmm. time of the game. But anyway, that's beside the point. Um, well, there's the point, I suppose. Uh, going back to your, <laughs> it's all question. I've been I've been waiting all morning. I could tell you're a coiled spring. You know, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think it's too early to uh, to. I think we, we bought ourselves a bit of time, haven't we? And a bit yes. of publicity. Um, I think we'll have a better idea after the uh, by Christmas. I think when we play Crystal Palace and Leicester, isn't it before Christmas? We'll disregard Chelsea for now. Um, but they could be under pressure when they play us. Um, yeah, too early. And obviously, there's a couple of things happened last night that have gone against us as well, injury wise, haven't they? Yeah, of course. Yeah, respite and relief. But um, <clears throat> bees, you know, look, but but it's been a an arduous run for Evertonian. So you know, n- nobody can. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure some rival fans would would mock. But you know, we have to be allowed to enjoy the moment. And, and Goodison did enjoy the moment. And, and you know, even for a couple of days or whatever, allow allow us to just enjoy a, a victory and a, and a dramatic one. You know, it's not often we're the ones scoring 90-second-minute winners. Um, two, the two standout players for most people off the top of people's heads would be Gray and Richarlison. Pick one and tell me why they were man of the match. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, on the, yeah, on the, one, on the one hand, haven't you? you've got self-proclaimed hat-trick hero um, Richie posing with his match ball, haven't you? And doing what I believe is possibly his his first English language interview, which was uh, interesting to see. Um, there you go. Afterwards, yeah, he's uh, finally picked up the lingo and he's been working hard on it. And um, the, uh, the shirtless Damari Gray um, going mad with, um, the, with with the fans. I suppose, yeah, Gray, Gray's the match winner, isn't he? But for the, for the overall... I mean, they were, both, they were both outstanding last night, but for overall contribution and for perseverance after... Both going against in the first two, uh, that maybe go with Richie, but I mean, you could you could fall down either side on on that one. But yeah, I mean, it's tough. He's been you know chosen to lead the line on his, his own. Although look, I thought it looked a bit um, almost four four two early on with when Townsend was alongside him. Um, but yeah, up top leading the line, you know, those two marginal decisions going against. You, I think. For the first one, there, were, there weren't many complaints, although I speak to Michael Ball earlier doing this column and he believes that it was only the fact that the Arsenal players slipped, which put Richarlison offside, so unfortunate with that one. But for the second, as Gaz been saying, it was an absolute pedant's one, wasn't it? In that you could say, yeah, by the absolute letter of the law, and it, 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 it's marginally offside, but if... If we are, again, using that phrase, um, clear and obvious error, then that certainly wasn't. So when that happens against you twice in, in one game and then you have that perseverance to keep on going, and again, they combined, didn't they, for the equaliser and that it was it was a great shot ricocheting off the crossbar and there was Richie fa- finally in an onside position to, to head in the, the rebound. So maybe for... For that, I, I would I'd fall down on this side. But yeah, they did, you could make a strong case for, for either of them. And it's good that you've actually got a couple of options there rather than scratching around and saying, well, who was actually at the races for Everton tonight? You know, you, there's, a, there's a few candidates in there and uh, there are a few more who um, obviously made contribution as well. I mean, you got, can't discount the contribution that Ben Godfrey made, obviously, um, very much in the spotlight after Luca Dean's um, omission. So yeah, there are, there are a few 
who came out and, and impressed. And it had to be, it was never going to be pretty in them circumstances. It was all about the result. But yeah, there, there, there were a few players who, who after uh, weeks of uh, justified criticism, stood up and, and were counted last night. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gav, give me, give me the rundown as to why Gray should, should get the nod. What, what, what did you like about Gray, particularly last night? Obviously, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's right foot in minute 92, obviously, goes without saying, isn't it? Game-changing moments, isn't it? Affecting the game. Affected the game twice. Um. I mean, that could have been the best two goals you've seen of one player that goes from back for many years. Could be the first one of the gone in. It was, a great, it was a great bit of football, that wasn't it? Brilliant shot, great save, brilliant finish. Yeah, it no. was a really good header by Richarlison, and we shouldn't yeah, under sort of yeah, estimate yeah, that. Yeah. Lots, lots of like in that bit of action. Gray, you'd make the case that he, he barely won the game, didn't he? And he, uh, he, he set up the goal for the first one and, and generally caused, uh, caused problems. He's a he's a he's a talent that lad, isn't he? I think it's just a case of getting a channel channeled in the right direction and you know, perhaps mo- motivating him. I think even when he went to bit uh, Leicester. Uh was he Birmingham before Leicester, I can't remember. Uh he was uh, Birmingham, Birmingham. Yeah, yeah. He was you know, we thought he was a big talent, perhaps didn't fulfill his but that didn't fulfill his potential. But you're seeing it, aren't you there? He's uh last night. They were they were two brilliant shots. I mean, I thought the first one Sorry, the the goal. I thought he cared that in. No, it's, it's, it's only when I see him when I come home. Yeah, yeah sorry, Gav. I was, I was going to say, as as we say in the in the trade, it stayed hit. It stayed <laughs> hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, it must have taken an, an average of I reckon forty five seconds for every Everton fan last night. The gap between opening the front door and rewinding the sky to a Gray's goal. You know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe by the microphone picked up the ball hitting the post oh Even of better. course yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so okay Rich, richardson other one who's got plenty of plaudits even he made sitting behind me last night uh um andre gomez came on didn't he and he yeah. he, did it. he made a big difference um to everybody he set up the he set up the goal he was a very simple past was it ben white was it i can't remember um, yes and that was a great pass, wasn't it, out wide to, to uh, Demar Gray. And uh, that's a frustrating Sorry, Phil, that, that's a frustrating thing with Gomez, isn't he? Is more often yeah. than not, he looks good for 20, 25 minutes when he comes off the bench. That's when he's chasing the game or he's just got to do a specific goal. But for 90 minutes, it's a slightly different uh, slightly different feeling you get from him, don't, isn't it? You know, and the impression you get. Well, that's the thing. And, and, and without sort of being flippant about it, and I'm sure, I'm sure many people listening and maybe you two here, Thought similar. Really impressed with 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 Gomez once he got going, and he, and the impact he made. But equally thinking, well, are we now gonna? Is he gonna disappear for four or five games? And and because that's unfortunately been the pattern of his of his form, isn't it? For for the last two or three years, I mean, albeit 
with the big injury in there, of course. Yeah, um, go on, Chris. Go. So I was just going to say, um, there's a couple of factors, isn't there? Like we keep saying that Rafa doesn't tend to go with three in the middle. It's not a formation he's used much within his career. He's either a four-two-three-one man or a four-four-two. So how do you get that third midfielder in from the start on a regular basis? And and, and like you're saying with Gomez himself, how does he fit into a Benitez team, which you know fast paced and is all about? Um, Having that, that not just um, speed of thought, but you know, being quick on the heels as well. He's he's not you know a particularly fast player, so you do wonder on that score. But I mean, he, like I said, he showed it as, as as an impact player. You know, he has he has got that that quality, but whether that is enough on on a long term basis, I'm, I'm unsure. But one thing we do know, the game's coming thick and fast. You know, that the squad is needed and different options at different times. Preno, welcome, uh, welcome to the pod. Um, we're still touching on uh, on last night, so just before we move on into other topics, of which there are many, give us your thoughts on on a massive win and, and a dramatic uh, a dramatic evening. Well, I heard your uh, your question about um, you know sort of which of those two players ought to be man of the match, and uh, I'm going to go completely left field and pick out Michael Keane, who I thought uh, you know sort of had an absolutely top class game. Uh, earlier in the week, I saw one of those mad, um, you know, sort of stats things that Sky throw up, and it was uh, the most interceptions by a Premier League footballer this season. And Michael King was second on that list. And uh, I noticed very early in the first half another couple of good interceptions he made, you know, which indicates that he's reading the game well. But it wasn't just that, it was the bravery he showed in a distribution. Uh, he was looking to play the ball positively all the time. He carried the ball out of defence on a number of occasions and he didn't take the easy option you know, so very often. He was looking for the uh, the ambitious ball. But I thought it was a really, really good performance by him and it needs to be because obviously Yerry Mina, you know, so half an hour we saw him and then, you know, as we've been saying for countless times on this podcast, his fitness is what lets him down and uh, probably why he won't get, you know, so a new deal offered him. I mean, Rafa's comments afterwards were quite uh, interesting, weren't they, about him? He actually said he's injury-prone. I think that was the phrase he used. And yeah. so we, we know he's not going to be getting a new deal off of the other thing. I think we could be seeing him moved on. You know, so further. I did, I, I, when, when Rafa was responding to, the, to our question about, about Mina and he said he was injury-prone, I was thinking to myself, I, I, I'm grateful for, you, for your honesty, Rafa, but I'm also thinking the club will probably want to try and sell him in the summer. He's, exactly. now, got the, he's now got a big injury-prone headline above him. Exactly. But it does indicate, you know, so how important Michael Keane's going to be because, you know, so Mason Holgate, you know, so still fills most of us with a little bit of anxiety, you know, so uh, when he comes on. But, uh, you know, so he did okay last night. Well, no, all in all, it, it was one of those, those special Goodison nights, wasn't it? You know, there was a lot of apprehension beforehand and a lot of concern over what the evening may hold. And it was almost like, an endorsement of the power of positive thinking. Uh, you know, so 27 minutes, some of the fans that you know wanted to protest did leave their seats, but the majority tended to make a point the other way. It was like, well, no, we're going to get behind the team. And they suddenly like sort of raised this thing, so big this chant, you know, so by far the greatest team. And it, it did, it just seemed to have like a galvanizing effect around the place. Um, and, you know, I know they made a big play of it on a Sky afterwards, because uh, like, as Gab just said, I came in and just watched the whole thing again. <laughs> it was a, a very late night, but it was, it, it was great. And it, it was, it was, you know, the, the power of Goodison, you know, so it, which becomes like a symbiotic thing, doesn't it? You know, so when the uh, the fans get behind the players and the players respond in kind, and it all becomes just like one big force that's very, very difficult for teams to compete against. And obviously, your Manchester Cities, your Chelsea's and your Liverpool's have so much quality 
that they could probably would overcome something like that. But a team like Arsenal has got quality, but can also be a little bit flaky on occasions. They wilt uh, in moments like that. And that's why you know, Everton got entirely what they deserved last night. So having to put up with the hardship they put up with, losing a centre-half when they did, having two goals disallowed by the narrowest of VAR decisions, and to still have the attitude and the commitment, it was just it was a really, really good night. The important thing now, of course, is to build on it and to uh, you know, sort of ensure that it becomes momentum now from two more tricky games that you know sort of looming ahead in the next couple of get next week or two yeah but well, great night on and all and like heroes everywhere but i just think michael Keane was one that flew under the radar uh you know so to- damari greg with and totally deserved the uh, you know the plaudits that they got and alan alan had a very good game as well but michael Keane was one of the unsung heroes i thought yeah fair enough um gav Prano mentioned the protest <coughs> um d- d- difficult almost impossible to know how many uh, fans left their seats um but you know you get an idea it certainly wasn't you know it certainly wasn't in any respect the majority of goodison far from it the majority stayed in the seats but a visible number left um do you think the, the supporters groups behind the protest will feel that it had been a success and was worthwhile and, and that their point had made and do you actually feel maybe the publicity and the profile and the build-up and, and what and the kind of the news yeah. that it had built prior to the protest yeah. actually had more impact than the the, 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 the walkout itself. Well, in, impact of what just highlighting the club's problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. think and so. This just had even there isn't in the last since we last podded. Uh, yeah, um, I think obviously fully support anybody wants to get up and protest. Perfectly fine with that. It also doesn't necessarily mean that if you're sitting down that you don't feel the same way. Of course. Uh, either way, I mean, I think it's forgotten all of this and that we all want a successful Everton, don't we? <laughs> End of the day. Um, and that's how we get there and how we sort of want to, you know, view our opinions on that can be, you know, different. So uh, I fully, fully understand that why people want that in that context. Um, I, I feel it's part of the... Oh, the other week when Benitez was saying everybody needs to up their ante by five or ten percent in the in the club. You know, he said he said that about four or five weeks ago, didn't he? He, he, he just mentioned the broad thing. It's pretty much the same thing, isn't it? Basically, saying everybody needs, you know, at the heart of it, everybody needs to be doing better. Yeah. You know what's gone on in the wrong, you know, and and I get there's more extreme, and, and I get by by the terms getting in the neck and stuff like this, but it's part of the same thing, isn't it? We just need everybody at the club needs to do better. Players, managers, boardroom, everybody, Prince Farm, all that type of thing. It's sending out the same message. What this has done is it, it's it, it's it's made it wider wider spread, and if if that makes people, you know, take notice and understand and work harder than. Not that I've got, you know. I think that's, uh, I think that's fair enough, isn't it? Um, and and, if, and and I get, I fully understand why people say, well, as long as we've got it in the public domain, it doesn't really matter how many people walk out. That's fair, fair enough as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was the unexpected outcome, I suppose. It did generally, rather than diminish the atmosphere, it actually enhanced the atmosphere, didn't it? I, th- I think the uh, the hailstorm about a minute before. Before twenty seven minutes, it didn't didn't uh, made a difference. But yeah, it was. I fully understand that people do that, but I do think it's part of the making. This, everybody at the club needs to work harder. And this is what we said four or five weeks ago. 
the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Of course, one person who will no longer be working and is no longer working at the football club bees is Marcel Browns, who stepped aside, stepped down, mutually agreed that he would leave. You know, the semantics, I guess, around how it came about are not important. He has left the football club. Uh, Sunday late on Sunday night it was confirmation from the from the club that he'd gone. Um, a very classy statement from Marcel accompanied the club's uh, statement. Um, made for quite sombre reading, really, because you know it spoke of a man who really deeply cared about the club, but felt that the vision, as he called it, was not aligned with his, and that there was clear differences in how he believed the club should be run as to how the rest of the club um, believed to be run. Um, just give me your thoughts on. On Marcel's exit, um, are, you, are you disappointed that he's leaving? Uh, surprised? You know, just give me a feel of of, of how yeah. he's reacted to the news. We're disappointed in terms of I, I don't think that they it was ever um, he was ever able to work in the way that a proper director of football necessarily should be working. Personally, I prefer not to have the model. I thought it, it, I prefer the traditional British model in that the way David Moyes would control the football club as a manager, one man having, and a football man at that, having the final say on all um, the ins and outs at the club and uh, one person being accountable for that. So that's the way I like to have things. But Mr. Mashiri, since he came in, he wants to have the director of football model, the continental model, and... Um, Ironically, it's supposed to sort of bridge that gap. So if you do go from coach to coach or manager to manager, it's not so much of an issue because you've got the overarching vision which comes from the director of football. But I think that was the problem. Um, whereas um, Mr. Brands had obviously been able to work in a certain way at PSV and with other Dutch clubs um, where he, he, he would know what he was doing and he would give, be given that autonomy to do so. I, it didn't seem to me that that ever happened uh, at Everton, certainly to, to a lot of the key decisions in terms of the managers he, um, he brought in. I know you mentioned in your piece, Phil, how um, he wasn't necessarily um, behind bringing in either the likes of Ancelotti or Benitez. And you imagine those type of um, managers, although again, both um, continentals rather than British managers are the type of people who like to have that control and who they are bringing in on the playing personnel side. And I think that's where it, it it went wrong. I mean, it was almost like, well, we can't sack another manager. So ultimately it's the director of football who who goes at, at this stage. So f- from that point of view, I, w- I wouldn't necessarily want to see him replaced. Though it's unfortunate for him, because like you said, um, often, a, you know, a man of integrity and he, you know, he stood and had that conversation with the fan who was, berating him on that infamous night last night uh, last week against Liverpool and remained calm and composed albeit with a um, um, a, an answer which uh, le- left uh, m- more questions and than, than answers and you know you could take that in many ways in there 
Is it you know not only the the players, but yeah, they, it's unfortunate. But I think he was always on a, on a, on a hiding to nothing to a certain extent in in terms that he he wasn't able to operate um, in in the manner that I imagine he would have um, wanted to and expected to. Yeah, absolutely. I do feel that when we reflect and in hindsight, the beginning of the end for Brands ultimately came when Marco Silva was sacked against his wishes and and a, and a, and a replacement that came in that he was not necessarily in favour of. Um, Preno, are Everton making a mistake in in, a, in accepting or agreeing to to Brands's departure, or did you feel that it was a it was a parting of company that had to take place for us to kind of move on? Uh, no, they're not making a mistake in the circumstances in which he was having to operate, which is you know pretty much independently of of, of the owner and, and the manager in many respects. I mean, the very best you know directors of football, if you like, and I'm with Chris on this. I don't like the model. I think English, English football is very different to European football. You know, where, where the manager is a manager. I mean, on the continent, they're often coaches, and you know, all they're interested in is you know sort of activities on the training ground, on the football pitch. Whereas in this country, traditionally, the manager has managed, you know, so he's chosen the players, he's coached them, he's selected them, he sends them out there. And uh, that's clearly what Rafael Benitez wants, you know, sort of good as he wants to actually control everything. And at Everton, over the last few years, it's been all over the place. You know, so you've had, uh, you know, a manager wanting one thing, you know, so Marcel wanting something else. You had that ridiculous summit under the previous director of football where we had three number 10s because the manager was selecting one, the director of football was selecting another, the owner was selecting another. And it's, it's just, you know, all over the place. You have to have a clarity of thinking, a clarity of vision. And if this takes one level of that confusion away, you know, so that, that can only be for the, you know, the good. I mean, I'm hoping that Rafa gets the, uh, I don't know, the, the opportunity to manage the way in which he wants to you know, so manage now. And he's not going to have, you know, sort of players foisted upon him and, you know, so sort of the owner may be wanting to make decisions, you know, so sort of ahead of him. And there have been decisions in the past. I mean, you know, so you mentioned the piece that you did earlier this week, the inside track on Marcel's departure, about the bid that went in for Wilfried Zaha, you know, so which was after, you know, the club had decided that they weren't going to go in for him. And then we had the Alex Iwobi situation, which we largely believe, you know, so it was Farhad Mashiri himself, you know, so sort of wanting... Uh, to do the deal for that, which is just madness. You know, so it's got to be a sporting director and a manager singing from the same hymn sheet. That's why it works so well across the park with Michael Edwards and, uh, and Jurgen Klopp. Klopp made it very clear from the start in 2016 that, look, I'm the man making the decisions here. But he learned to work with Michael Edwards and the pair of them had this great, very close relationship. And he listened to him. You know, so Mohamed Salah was brought on Michael Edwards to say so. Uh, because you know, Jurgen Klopp was prepared to listen to you know, so his statistics and his advice. That hasn't been the case. I mean, here, Marcel Brands has been recommending one thing, and you know, he's been told to get on with it because the manager wants something differently. I'm thinking specifically in the Carlo Ancelotti time, you know, so when Alan and James Rodriguez were two players that you know, so Marcel Brands advised against bringing in because they flew in the face of the strategy he was trying to implement, which is bringing in younger players. Uh, who can de be developed and possibly have a sell-on, you know, sort of potential. Clearly, Hammers and Alan won't have sell-on potential because they were 29 when they were bought. And yet, you know, Farhad said, well, no, Carlo wants them, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and get them for him. And it, it's wrong. You know, you've got to try and have this, like, sort of clarity of thinking. And so, like I say, that one layer has been taken out of it now, so that will hopefully make things a little bit more efficient. Whether it's ideal, no, far from it. And whether, you know, so Farhad then intends to appoint another director of football, we don't know yet. I know he's uh, indicated to yourself, Phil, that you know there might be more incomings at the football club. Quite in what positions those incomings will be, who knows? 
So I have to wait and see. So it's been a mess. There's no doubt whatsoever about it. But, you know, so hopefully, you know, so taking that one layer away will clear up the mess a little bit. You know, so whether it does, we'll have to wait and see. Gavin, as, as Preno alludes to, there's, uh, the club are undertaking a, as they call it, strategic review of the football and medical departments, i.e. looking at the scouting network and yeah. recruitment and stuff like that. Do you ever think we will see a return of a director of football? Um, and if we don't, do you think that's the best way for the club to move forward? Or are you in favour of the continuity that a director of football theoretically yeah. can bring to a football club? It's a short-term and long-term answer to this, isn't it? I think in the short-term, probably not. Um, you know, I think it's pretty well-known fact that Denise has, for all what he said last night, I think he said, I remember Michael mentioned it, working the director of football. Uh, I think in the past, he's like to have a lot of control about stuff. Um, and so I think maybe in the short-term, I think that... I think the way we are at the moment is I don't think we need to muddy the horses <laughs> anymore than what we've got. I think we just need to get beneath heads to manage for the for the short term and and if that means he's got more power than perhaps he's is invisible, that I'm, I'm not a problem with that. Uh in the long term, this has always been the problem, isn't it? Because and I think there's a separate conversation is a lot of this is is the root cause that Penn alluded to there is the mistakes that were made in 2016, 2017, isn't it? They're still paying for them. And I think I think if you would sit sit Mashiri down now um, and say, would you do things differently? I would like to think that he he would have said, say, in 2016-17, do my strategic review then. You know, and um do a bit more planning. It was a bit more it was we were flying by the seat of our pants, really, weren't we? And and I think that's pretty costly, and I think you know we ended up what we Monty and then then we ended up with Steve. Most interestingly, Mick Walsh, Mick Walsh, uh, Steve's brother. Uh, I had an interview with him a few years ago, and just after Steve got the bullet from Everton, and he said that that Steve is pretty much his hands are tied behind his back as director of football, which is an interesting comment. It's sort of. It's in what we've been saying here about like, well, did Marshall have any power? And and I do think a lot of the problems that go back to the 2016-17 uh, situation, you know, and the way we were, and maybe you should have planned a little bit more. So um the strategic review says we need a director of football. I don't think we should get it in the next 12 months, certainly not this season. It should be part of a wider, a wider review of how we do things as a club. Mm, absolutely. Uh, I think, I think we're just, a, I mean, I think it's more power to Benitez, but I think at the moment that's good because Rafa was got, got a little bit of leeway last week, didn't he? Because people said, well, he's not the, you know, the the worst problem at Everton. Well, one of those problems, Rob, what does the director of football do? Has it sort of been taken away, hasn't it? So the spotlight is more on Benitez now, isn't it? Which I think is good in the short term. Uh, and uh, But I think in the longer term, that, the director of football is part, but it's a part of why I think what we need to do as a as a club. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Chris, when we reflect on Brands' and a half years and football club, success or a failure or is the answer as often as the case somewhere in the middle? I mean, ultimately it has to be a, a failure because it is a failure on, on the pitch. They've gone backwards. I mean, looking at some of the signings that they have made, again, it, it, it's difficult to say, I don't know how much input um, did he have, but obviously there are successful signings on there. Richarlison, one of his very first and uh, no matter how it ends up for Richarlison, whether he stays at Everton or he is sold on for, for big money, you know, he's been a success. I would have said uh, Luca Dean, but that's a bit of a moot point at, at, at the moment. Um, and then in more recent ones, you'd imagine that Ben Godfrey was one of those, and unless Carlo Ancelotti, bizarrely, has spotted Godfrey at Norwich City. I'm not too sure about that. So I think he'd have to get the credit for, for the likes of that one as well. But yeah, the... Ultimately, um, I, I don't think you can um, call it a, a success given that things have gone backwards on the pitch. Like I said, that's not necessarily his fault. And that, I think that a big problem is that is we just don't know how much input he had or just how he was able to work to the way he would have liked. But no, I, I don't think you can call it uh, anything other than than a failure. And that, but that's that's a reflection of the club as a whole so far under on, on Mr. Machiri. I mean... The stadium dream is becoming a reality, but from all footballing matters, you know they, they've they've gone backwards, and uh, so proving you know there's a massive missed opportunity. If you look at the, the money that they spent, yeah, we know realistic enough to say that Everton certainly until after the new stadium is built, are going to find it difficult to compete with the uh, the established big six in in the Premier League. But to see the likes of Leicester City routinely outperforming them on similar resources and even David Moyes' West Ham United up Woodley Mobile this season. Yeah, it's, it's galling how they've not been able to sort of make Mr Maturi's money work. Yeah, definitely a sense that uh, Marcel was part of a problem, but not the only reason, many other reasons for a, an imbalanced squad and the problems the squad faced. And ultimately he was left carrying the can for... Everybody's mistakes, <clears throat> it seems. Um, Preno, these mentions, uh, Luca Dean. Um, I think we were, I don't think it was a particularly well kept secret that had been sort of tension between Dean and the manager. I think there'd been difference of opinion over how the team were playing and how his role had changed because of it. But I, hand on heart, did not expect to see him dropped and not just dropped, dropped from the squad completely. How did you react to the news last night? With shock, um, you know, my initial reaction was he must be injured. Um, and then, you know, so when I heard that he wasn't, it just underlines that this is the first sign of the uh, the greater power, if you like, that, you know, so Rafael Benitez, you know, so now enjoys. Uh, I know he's always going to have the power over the, um, you know, the starting lineup and the team selection. Well, you know, he'll want to influence what happens in terms of incomings as well. And by alienating, you know, so the only, you know, so left back on the books, that uh, indicates that, you know, he could be looking for somebody else in January because he's clearly not having him as a footballer, which also surprises me. Uh, he's been one of the standout performers for me for the last few seasons, uh, you know, so certainly creatively. And yet from uh, Rafa's arrival, 
he's being told to play in a different way, which he has done. Um, he's being told to, you know, sort of be more conservative, you know, so sort of be, be more of a defender, basically, be more of a left back, you know, so sort of rather than a, you know, sort of a left wing back, if you want. That in turn has like stopped, you know, the quality of his deliveries from the left, and you know, obviously, it's increased the opportunities for Damari Gray and uh, Andros Townsend, you know, sort of to do that kind of role. But and he's been taken off free kicks as well, you know, so on set pieces, you know, other players have been preferred to him, you know, so and that's so it almost is like he doesn't fancy him, and he's trying to push the guy into a position whereby he can then move him on, and maybe you know, so bring in somebody else. And how I feel about that, I don't know, you know, because I I like Lucas Dean as a player. Ben Godfrey did well there last night, but you know he's, he's not a natural left back, and he's certainly not the long term solution to you know to that problem. Um, it was good to see him flying up and down, you know, so when he did on occasions, but it, it's not natural for him. Whereas it is for Luca Dean, who's been you know you, you look at all the Premier League statistics, and he's right up there in terms of assists, in terms of quality of delivery. So you know it does surprise me, but equally we have to accept that you know so the, the manager is now calling all the shots. And uh, he's identified that as an area, it looks like, that, you know, he wants to make changes. Uh, so, you know, if you're a Luca Dean fan, it, it's disappointing. But, you know, proof of the pudding, as always, is in results. You know, so Rafa will point to the fact that he got a result last night. And if he can build on that and get results going forward, he'll say that the end justifies the means. Speaking of the end, Gav, is this the beginning of the end at Everton for Luca Dean? January transfer window. Seriously, I was, I was having this conversation... I was having yeah. this conversation with Adam Jones on the way back to the car last yeah. night and we were sort of just shooting the breeze about, about Dean's situation. And we, and we said January, then we we kind of laughed and went, no, surely not. But do you think it's possible? I think it's a coincidence, is it? You know, I think... Um, so, no, you know, this season, I was saying last night, it can be defined in two parts. The first part ends when Dean cleaned, cleaned that Watford player out when we were 1-0 up in cruising in the home game. You know, by, by the corner flag, a completely needless uh, free kick and, and, you know, foul, and they, they equalised. And, you know, we went 2-1, but the game was not the same. We were cruising that game 1-0. It could be 2-3, or three, you know. And since then, it, 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 it's it's uh, deteriorated. I don't think he's been great for it. I think there was patches last season where he wasn't great, wasn't it? You know, I, I, I really need to allow all the COVID stuff. I think um, Denise has, if he, if he likes 4 4 2, obviously blocks Dean up, Dean off a little bit. He doesn't need, he can't attack, he hasn't got much freedom to play his more natural game. Um, so if you look at Dean say, well, I might be better off moving. And he says, "May so well, I might get." I mean, but when's Dean's contract up? Is he signed a new one? Didn't he? He signed a new one. So let me just yeah. double check. I think Luca Dean could yeah. be a twenty twenty five. Yeah, yeah. One so of that uh, batch. His transfer value would be reasonably high, wouldn't it? Really, twenty eight um, peak of his powers, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And he says, "May think well if we get money in January." Assuming the board allows, I might be better off using that. That money elsewhere. I don't know what that means with the left back situation. By the way, you might just want to make up and make up a men between now and the end of the season. But yeah, I don't think the two things are only coincidental. To be fair, mm. it'd be what's this space on that? That one. Yeah, just checked. His, his twenty twenty five contract is up. Um, having signed a new one uh, relatively recently, twenty eight, and 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 Chris, you know. 
on the other side, thinking it from Luca Dean's point of view, he'll have an eye on on Qatar twenty twenty two in in around twelve months. He needs to be playing to get into the French squad. We you know we we know how important that is for him. Mm-hmm. He can't accept not just not being in the team for a little bit, but not even being in the squad. I mean, Didier Deschamps still in charge at France. I mean, he'd be looking at that and thinking, "Crikey, what's what's going on there?" Yeah, I mean, uh, he said a regular international with world champions France and, you know, the pedigree that he's got. I'm playing for Paris Saint-Germain, likes Roma, but Barcelona, you know, he's not going to be accepting that. But I, I go along with what Gav said, to be fair. I, I think that this malaise in, in form from Dean does stretch back to before Benitez's appointment. Um, he. He struggled in that for most of this season, he hasn't had that target to aim for. And Dominic Calvert-Lewin has been out injured, which the whole team has obviously been struggling through the absence of last season's top scorer. But it's just when he gets forward at one end, and we were talking again, going back to speaking to Michael Ball today, and we'll see in his column later, Ball, he obviously a former left-back himself. And he, he was saying that both ends of the pitch, you know, he's letting crosses go past him and he's defending. And when he's going forward, he doesn't seem to have that sort of almost carefree, playing on instincts. I'll just get it, whip it in there. He's taking an extra touch. He's being hesitant. So it, 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 it's a problem. I, I don't think he can complain about being dropped, but the the abrupt manner, like you say, of just being totally left out of the match day squad. Now that that's in indicates that there are, you know, there are wider issues at play here. And yeah, you do have to wonder whether it said whether it's January or uh, or next summer, if he, if he could now be moving on, might be seen as more palatable way to earn to raise some transfer funds and I'm selling either Calvert Lewin or Richarlison. So, yeah, it, 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 it's not too long ago. I think that Manchester City were um, supposedly um, sniffing around him. I mean, you could actually say the same for Mason Holgate. So that shows you how quickly things can turn around in, in football. But yeah, it, 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 it suggests that um, something has been said, but. If, like Gav said, if they can sort of kiss and make up for the rest of the season or whether it means, uh, you know, an, an abrupt part of the ways in January, I suppose only time will tell. Indeed. Um, Preno, final word to you then on, on the pod before before we wrap up, um, before meeting back up again on Friday. How, how does this end for Luca Dean and Everton? Um, I think this is the beginning of the end, yeah. I mean, it doesn't look like there was any olive branches extended last night. Uh, I know it was in the immediate aftermath of the game, uh, but you know Rafa was asked about his position, and uh, he was immediately picking up Ben Godfrey. You know, so let's talk about how good Ben Godfrey is, and it does look like you know this is one of those many ruthless Rafa Benitez decisions that we'll probably come to uh, get quite you know so familiar with. Um, he's decided that you know he's not a player that he fancies. He can maybe raise a few funds you know so from his you know his sale and bring in the players that he does fancy. Um, if, like I say, if you're a if you're a fan, you know, so of Luca Dean, it's unfortunate. But you know, it's a, it's a ruthless results business, and he will say you can get results doing it a different way. So I've been wrong many times before, but I, I think I think this could be, you know, it could end badly for Luca Dean in his uh, his Everton career. Mm. Indeed, let's see how that one plays out and whether uh, whether anything happens in January. Chaps, thank you very much for your company. Um, excellent as always. Um, and thank you very much for listening. We'll be back Friday. Uh, expect, we're expecting Friday, uh, Rafa, to do a presser, of course, where we will get some preview and latest injury news uh, ahead of the trip to Crystal Palace, where hopefully 
the Blues can build on a massive win from last night at Goodison. So uh, stay with us for that. Okay, you've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.